Welcome to Recovery Corner, where we introduce you to those making a difference to help you, your family, friends, and neighbors navigate the road to recovery. I'm Jason Herzog, CEO of AverHealth. Today, we're at the NADCP National Conference, so there's going to be a little background noise with over 8,000 people around us, and I'm honored to be joined by retired Army General Barry McCaffrey, the most highly decorated serving general, having been awarded three Purple Heart Medals, two Distinguished Service Crosses, and two Silver Stars for Valor. He has served as Director of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy and is currently President of McCaffrey Associates, a terrorism analyst for NBC News, and a member of Aberhouse Board of Directors. Welcome, General, and thank you for your service. Yeah, Jason, it's great to be here. It really has been exciting uh, since the uh, convention started here at the Gaylord Hotel in Nashville. What an incredible uh, crowd. As you you mentioned, 8,000 people. One of the earliest uh, uh, annual conferences I went to, Brandon DCP, was probably about 150. So this is just such a demonstration that the more than 3,000 drug courts and more than 350 uh, veteran treatment courts uh, are engaging across the country and trying to make a dent in this massive disaster uh, of lethality, overdose deaths, uh, destruction of uh, people's uh, lives, the engagement with the criminal justice system, with the health care. So it's just a joy to be here, and, and I'm very proud to be part of AverHealth. This, uh, we have been a major factor in enhancing the effectiveness of the drug treatment system. So I'm very proud of the work you and your uh, colleagues have done. Thank you, General. It is amazing how far we've come. You mentioned 150 people at one of the earlier conferences, and now we're up to 8,000. And you also mentioned over 3,000 treatment courts. What do you attribute that trend to besides a bunch of people that care and are incredibly passionate about trying to help in this scrooge of drug of drug and alcohol use? Well, I think a lot of it was just despair. You know, when I started in 1996, I ended up as a drug policy director. I became a student of people that I thought knew what they were talking about. Well, that's National Institute of Drug Abuse or Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America or, or National Drug Courts itself. I went down to Miami and spent three days as a student of Judge Stanley Goldsmith, the, who started the first drug court. And it just jumped out at me. It was so obvious that this was a tool using reward and punishment of people engaged in the criminal justice system. And the early numbers showed us that we thought we were making probably an 80% success rate of having people off drugs at the end of one year of engagement. But you can't do that without also having some detailed oversight, which means drug testing. And it has to be accurate, it has to be quick, it has to be responsive to case management. And I, so I think as people saw the results and this general disaster of dealing with the incredibly increasing drug addiction rates across America, they start turning to the drug court system. Yeah, that makes sense. With an 80% success rate, I don't think there is any other intervention, diversion, or type of treatment that comes close to that that I'm aware of. Yeah. And well, the, the only thing I would say, there's two magic things I've run into dealing with drug abuse and, and this now pushing 20 years of experience in, in the area. One is AA, 
Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, the magic. There's millions of people out there walking. There's thousands here in the Gaylord Hotel who are in recovery primarily because they they get engaged with AA or NA. The other one's a drug court system. And, you know, I tell people that the biggest argument in favor of the drug court system is uh, the taxpayer. If you want to save public money, save the disaster that uh, chronic uh, alcoholism or drug addiction makes, then get people engaged when they're when they're picked up by the criminal justice system. They're in incredible despair. It's four o'clock in the morning. You just got arrested for street prostitution or breaking and entering. Uh, they're at the lowest point of their life. And at that point, if somebody offers you a diversion program with treatment and uh, case management and drug testing to try and keep you in sobriety and deal with relapse uh, prevention, then you'll take it. And uh, we had a seminar yesterday sponsored by Everhealth on Veteran Treatment Court, and uh, uh, our veteran speaker had everybody in tears talking about uh, this. He's a magnificent human being. Yes, he is. But uh, he, he was at the bottom of his life under arrest county jails lost his marriage his car his home and now back and it's because of veteran treatment courts and of course a big part of that is you got to have a reliable testing system absolutely you know i was in that conference yesterday in that presentation yesterday and one of the things that really uh, was impressive from that gentleman that came through the veterans treatment court was it wasn't just case management. It wasn't just drug testing. It wasn't just the people that put uh, additional treatment and care around him, but it was also about helping him to find his way through both connections with family, with friends, with employment, housing, etc. So all of those played a key role as well as helping to turn it around. But it had to start with that foundation of case management, effective drug testing, holding him accountable. Yeah, no question. You know, the the Shelby County, Tennessee judge and court administrator that we had there too were just knocked my socks off. And the practical aspects of how you put together a veteran treatment court. And as you mentioned, you know, you can't do a single variable in dealing with chronic addiction. You can't uh, tell somebody, uh, well, we'll enroll you in treatment if you get your driver's license, your birth certificate, uh, show us your health insurance card. And the guy's got no car and he's got no place to live. I mean, so it has to be a holistic approach. And that's what good drug courts and veteran treatment courts in particular bring to bring to bear. It's also jobs, a place to live. Uh, it's mentors. The veteran treatment court with their mentor programs is fabulous. Got another person to engage and to listen to you and to say, no, we care about you as a person. The power of positive reward of somebody that cares. You know, one of the first drug court judges told me, he said, a lot of these particularly young men and uh, women that come in front of my court, I'm the first person they've ever met in their life who had both authority and who cared about them. And that's one of the secrets to uh, the drug court. But as you say, you've got to have a case manager. Somebody got to pull it all together, and that's a seven-day-a-week job. That is a seven-day-a-week job, no doubt. Substance use disorder, unfortunately, affects so many veterans. As we're talking about veterans, what are 
What's one of the statistics that really concern you most about veterans and substance use disorder? Well, I always try and temper this by saying most veterans have been several million that, that fought in both Iraq and Afghanistan and special operations missions around the world. They had 60,000 killed and wounded. Um, most of them come home uh, in sound shape. Uh, they're all volunteers. They have tra- great training. Uh, the military is a, an incredible support machine to keep uh, men and women in uniform uh, secure. Uh, if they get injured, which they do at pretty high rates in combat, uh, they have a fabulous medical care out at the ends of the earth. Now, the problem is all of them go through readjustment when they come home. Uh, Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, is a, an absolute must-read if you're dealing with veterans. Uh, they lose that day-to-day intensity of contact with their sergeants and their captain and the sergeant major are engaged in their life. And particularly if they're in the National Guard or reserve units where they're not engaged with active duty forces. So all of them have a reintegration problem. They got to get a job. They got to reconnect with their families. And so the initial months we have problems. They got a lot of money in their pocket. Uh, they get drunk by a ten thousand dollar motorcycle and drive it right into a bridge abutment, or they beat their girlfriend up. Or, uh, so there's you got to reintegrate back into society. And then some number, uh, particularly those in, in exposed to high intensity combat or who have an underlying existing substance use disorder. Or an underlying psychiatric challenge, some of them come home uh, with SUD, maybe one out of 10. We're not right. sure of the number. And of that group, one out of 10, a significant number, maybe one out of three, also have PTSD. PTSD normally will tend to disappear in a year of safety and hot showers and people that care about you that aren't threatening you. Some of it is chronic and it has to be addressed. So uh, the case management challenge for veterans in some ways is easier. They they respond to the discipline, the group dynamics. Uh, they want to regain the pride they felt as the, as the veteran. Yes, they said that in the, our seminar, uh, they want to feel like the day they graduated from boot camp and the whole world was in, in front of them. Uh, so it's a challenge and, uh, and I think so far inadequately resourced to deal with it. So the VA, a much maligned VA, is a magnificent organization that does a lot of good. No doubt. What, what are some of the best tactics to help a veteran transition from active service back to civilian uh, day-to-day life? Well, of course, one of the easiest ways is not getting out of the military. And I say that because, you know, I came home from my third combat tour as a captain in the Army, <clears throat> sort of badly wounded, uh, but I stayed in the Army. So I managed to get through two years of hospital recovery at, uh, you know, Walter Reed, where I was still engaged with the, the military. My family was still intact and waiting for me. So there's an easy one. And on the other end is somebody that comes home and he's been a National Guard or Reserve and he lives 150 miles from the nearest VA facility, never mind an active duty um, military uh, engagement facility. Uh, He may not have a job. Most young people leaving the service, initially, they don't have a job. So we have to engage these veterans. We're not doing them a favor. Uh, We owe it to them. They step forward to defend the country. Now, if it hadn't been for those 60,000 killed and wounded, we would have had a dozen more 
9-11. So they've done something great for all of us, and we've just got to engage them as they transition from the military and deal with whatever issues they have. If they've got no issues, great. Let's welcome them home, give them a job. Well, for those that uh, need engagement or looking for that job, AverHealth would absolutely welcome them. They've served our country, and if they came to work with AverHealth, they could serve their community in a very positive way and help others to reclaim lives, unite families, and strengthen communities. So I think companies like AverHealth would be very interested in engaging veterans as they come in. No, I'm, we, gl- I'm glad you said that. I tell our civilian companies all the time, find a way to go advertise in military times. I mean, the Air Force military times. Hey, uh, we respect you for what you've done. We know you got a sense of self-discipline and commitment to the mission. We're the same kind of people. Come work with us. Indeed. General McCaffrey, thank you for joining us on Recovery Corner. We, pr- we appreciate all you do for our veterans and our nation. Thank you for listening, and please join us again soon for another episode.